to the Butter Chicken Podcast, hosted by DJ Sherrod and DJ Juicy. Ooh. We focus on the stories of individuals who are making great impact in society and culture. The Butter Chicken Experience is well-cooked, thought-provoking conversation. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy the vibes. You got the culture? Yes, 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 party people, New York City and worldwide, you already know what it is, DJ Sherrod. And DJ Juicy, baby, what's popping, bro? Man, everything is everything, bro. Loving life, right? Yeah, not loving you too much right now, but I'm okay. That's all right, we have our ups and downs. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a rough day, bro, what you, what you... Giving me a text tour today for no, nah, I don't even want to have a text tour. I wanted to talk to you on the phone, but you're too busy. <laughs> I wanted to FaceTime. I wanted to FaceTime. How are you gonna face? I was DJing a party. You know that, right? You can step aside for a second, make some time for your boy. When I DJ, I like to focus on the music. I feel you. I'm mad at that. Yeah, yeah, but um, you know, I think I think when you talk on text, sometimes there's uh some misinterpretation because we're reading this and we're not really understanding the tone that it's coming out in, right? I totally agree with that. So that's kind of why I like doing Butter Chicken every Wednesday because for me, it's a time where we're actually not talking about what we usually talk about, which is budgets, creative, payroll, blah, 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 blah. We're talking about stuff that we're interested in outside of work. So to me, it's like a good time for us to recap as well. And unwind a little bit too, really just kind of talk it out and see what's popping you know yeah so i think i think this week stress levels in general for for the squad uh have been very high and we're just coming off this high stress level specifically because of what we went through for the last couple of weeks leading up to this new balance 990 launch that we did um congrats to you congrats to us congrats to the team i thought it was phenomenal yeah i want to thank everybody from our team for really stepping up and doing an incredible job and and i i think like for me what was dope about it uh, is that I've been in, on the front lines of almost everything uh, activation-wise that we've done. But this was the first activation that we did, and it was mega, that I kind of just said, I don't really want to deal with it. No, it's definitely a good opportunity for our team to step up and shine. And uh, especially one person in particular who was a project lead on this really came through. And uh, we want to commend her efforts and Erica Elizabeth from our team. Yeah, and the squad. Erica killed it. Oh, hell yeah. I think you were a great support uh, production-wise. I think it went well. And, you know, we we talk about creative, right, and constantly being creative and pushing the envelope. And there's a lot of people in the game that are creative and do creative stuff, but sometimes we as creatives, we're behind-the-scenes people. Yes. We're people that push the envelope and help build brands and help deliver messages and help produce things on every angle. Uh, and sometimes the people in the back, sort of the the behind the scenes or the back of house, don't get their full recognition or their full due. Would you, would you think that's pretty accurate? That's very accurate. And uh, even more so to touch on that point, like it's very rare to find someone who's creative and also has a hustler's mentality. That is like the ultimate package, in my opinion. Um, and, uh, you know, speaking to people like that to understand where they get their creative inspiration from and where they get their drive from is also motivating for me, too. Absolutely. In fact, uh, we have a friend joining us today uh, who is 
someone that I've aligned with uh, recently, uh, gone to gone to love his hustle, gone to see that this dude is real dude, uh, has a great story, um, but in my opinion, I think he's just getting started on a long career where he's about to flourish and he's also about to help a lot of people flourish and a lot of brands and companies flourish. He goes by the name of Ani Hustles on the gram. A uh, good friend of ours, let's welcome Ani Sanyal. Big round of applause. Let's clap it up, Juice. Welcome to the Butter Thank Chicken you. Podcast, Ani. Thank you. What an intro, man. God willing, all that comes true. But I appreciate you guys. Thank you for having me. Well, no uh, doubt, man. Absolutely, man. Thank you for being here, man. It's good to kind of sit with you in this setting. And Juicy doesn't know, but we were in L.A. about a couple of months ago. We kind of had a podcast. Yeah. Which is why I invited you here, because I was like, That's yo, we got, yeah. we got to make we it got happen. We started, but we didn't really... Get yeah, into yeah, it. yeah, yeah. For us, every day is a podcast, right? Even when we're not podcasting. But I think you have a great story. I think there's parts of it that we really want to dive into today. Uh, let the listeners know a little bit about who you are. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, we go from there. I think let's get right into it, man. Ani, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, you know where you come from culturally and your background. For sure. Um, <clears throat> so I'm a first generation first generation child. Uh, my parents immigrated from India. They're from Kolkata. Um, and so I'm Bengali, but from, from India and, um, you know, growing up, I uh, grew up in Massachusetts in Boston. Uh, my father was a grad student, you know, typical, we had like probably a hundred dollars we cleared every month, you know? Um, and, and I remember not having a lot, but being extremely happy. I remember the, you know, one bedroom apartment. I remember everything vividly, but I also remember just being happy. Um, and, and, and I've really, uh, in a way, been been working to get back to that point. I think that you know, as as immigrant families, as we get bigger and 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 get more and have more, we often lose kind of like the essence and the core of what what made us and what makes us special. So, um, yeah, I watched my parents, you know, unconditionally provide for 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 myself and my brother. Um, I have this this story that that's so like telling about kind of where I come from. Um, you know, growing up, we had this like mustard yellow couch in our living room. Mm-hmm. I had one of those too, bro. And it was hideous, right? But it was like you grew to love it. And um, I remember it had three legs. And, and, you know, we always had a soup can or some books or something on that on that fourth leg. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. It's normal, whatever. Um, I found out years later that my, my dad pulled that out of the dumpster. Wow. And brought it to the crib. And, and I always think about that, like, you know, what was that moment like, you know, from like for him to, to put his pride to the side and, and do something like that for his family? It's just... It's just a, a reference point for where I come from. So, you know, we didn't come from a lot, but we were happy. Um, and, and I grew up in Boston. Um, and In Boston proper, like what we know is like... No, outside of Boston, yeah. Like Boston. what town or what area? So I grew up... I was born in Northampton, which is near um, UMass Amherst, okay. which is where my dad went to school. Um, I moved to Waltham, which is like probably 20, 30 minutes from Boston. And then I grew up around that area. And I didn't love it, I got to be honest. Um, Boston during the 90s, being a brown kid in the 90s, and that type of environment what was the environment like who like what type of people were there like what was the demographic like in in the areas that i grew up it was all people that looked like me in terms of brown and black people but the but the energy in boston during that time it's a very like man it's a colonial town like they they really stick to those those roots like the the patriotism and and it's a very white city um and and you know growing up and and kind of i was like the skateboard slash hip-hop you know, lemonade stand kid, and, and there wasn't really a, a space for that. There wasn't, I never felt comfortable in that space. So who did you identify with mostly when you were growing up? Was it just 
Yeah. Any but, specific culture or? That's a good question, man. I mean, I knew, you know, I knew that, that uh, I wasn't like everybody else, mm-hmm. you know, and I think finding your identity, quote unquote, during that time was just like a, an ongoing thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like I spent summers in India. We were just talking about this earlier today. You know, I spent summers as eight, nine, ten-year-old kid in India. Um, every summer you'd go back out nah, there? Nah, it wasn't like every summer, but, you know, when we could, we did. And, and um, I only realize that now how those times built my worldview and, mm-hmm. and it built perspective and, and gave me this, uh, this real understanding of what most of the world looks like. And, and, you know, my mom famously, like, you know, never waste a grain of rice, like, growing up. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it's a grain of rice. Like, we'll be fine. Until you go and see that a grain of rice is not just a grain of rice. Mm-hmm. Like, it's really, it's, it's not it's just simply that. And, and those kind of experiences really just sat with me, you know. And I used to come home and come back to, you know, uh, public school in, in Massachusetts. And, like, what are we talking about? You know what I mean? Like, there's just, there was always a disconnect for me. And, and I think hip-hop was the thing that really allowed me to be like oh okay i can be myself um and i can i can grow an identity in the art form itself and so in terms of role models idols people identify with i really had no one and and i like i always say the same thing it was basically my pops was like you know a rock for me and then and then jay-z was like the first person i was like oh you could be a person of color and build something own something on your own um and that was like the the first reference points i had so your father when he came here uh from india uh, and your family, your mom. Yeah. Um, did he like go into a, like a, 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 was he an entrepreneur? Did he have a, a business? Did he work for corporate America? Like, what was his position and that yeah. transition for him? I mean, That's speak to that a little bit. Great question. My dad is like my brother and I joke like he's an encyclopedia. Like for like he was like a you know in India they call it quiz like you know like a general knowledge quiz like he was a top three champion type and he's just an extremely intellectual person. Um, and I felt like he thought that coming to America would up that level of intellectualism until he came here and he was like, I'm really dealing with people who are inferior in a way and I have to now play to this. Like, mm-hmm. how does that work? And uh, no, he wasn't an entrepreneur. He's, he's traditionally been, he's an academic. You know, he's been, he's been, uh, he's been what I think is safe. And I, and I talk to him about this now, like, yo, you played it safe. He's like, but he's like, yo, I picked up everything I had and moved to a different country. And Facts. built a life. Yeah. Right? That's the so nothing safe the, about that. He's There's the real, safe you know, about that. Entre- that's entrepreneurship at a at a 10x level. Absolutely. And, and yeah, yeah. And that takes courage, man. I love yeah. that. And and now I appreciate that so much more. I'm like, man, like I wouldn't do that. So you just moved to Jersey City, like from, you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> I, got, I got into a little condo and I was out. Like, <laughs> he picked up and you know got got it popping. And so to me, like I have so much more appreciation for that now. But um yeah, he he basically um got into like uh consulting and, and and from a business side but it's funny you say that because my first reference point and kind of like inception point for entrepreneurship was seeing him get laid off multiple times as a kid and going through this thing almost every holiday season and being like if this is corporate america if this is corporate life like why would i want any part of it mm. and and ve- i'm talking about eight nine ten years old i was like nah I, that's not gonna be me I didn't know what was going to be me, but I knew that that feeling that somebody's sitting in an office and signing a paper and now my family's entire life is in shambles. I didn't want any part of that. And that was always something that really, really, you know, sat with me and, and it you know took me, what, 20 years to figure it out. But, you know, I'm, I'm I look back now. I'm like, OK, it started very early. Incredible, man. So so your dad's an academic. What's your educational background? Yeah, um, I just posted on Instagram about this like ten minutes ago. Um, Did education you just read was his gram? 
I I I did visit his gram today. <laughs> I will I'll, I'll admit that. I'm trying. But I'm I'm curious to know because actually uh, before you go, Ani, um, my wife is is Bengali. She's from Kolkata. Oh, word! Wow. So I'm very familiar with the culture. In fact, uh, I went there, visited there, and mm. I understand how big academics plays huge, to the culture, huge, yeah. music, art, everything in general, yeah. and kind of business and entrepreneurship is to the side. It's it's incredible. Whereas where I, my family's from Punjab, North mm-hmm. India, like business is 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 king, right? So yeah. seeing both perspectives was really eye opening for me. So that's why I kind of wanted to understand your story a little bit better and your yeah. dad's struggle and hustle and now your academic background, so I could kind of connect everything. Yeah, and, and that's a great question because of his emphasis on academics. It was this thing that we always had to, like, we always had to respect it. When I say we, my brother and I, always had to like give our best effort and do our you know do our very best, but it just wasn't me. Like, it mm. just wasn't for me. And, and look, like, I, I, I was a, you know, B plus, A minus student. Like, I held it down. I wasn't trash. But, you know, I didn't, like, I just never felt like this was what was going to get me and my family to a place where we needed to go. Um, I remember college for me, like, deciding on what to do with that whole situation wasn't black or white because I had started, like, a, an indie label when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, I might be able to really take this somewhere. But, it was kind of stomped out because I was like, oh, okay, now it's the summer. I got to go to college. Um, and so academically, like I, I cover the bases, you know, like respecting and honoring parents, obviously sure. is a big thing. And that was my number one thing is like, I never wanted to disrespect or dishonor them. Um, and I, and I held it down quote unquote, but it wasn't, it wasn't me. Like I had, you know, I knew I had something else. Um, and I somehow got in and then convinced my parents to let me go to NYU um, and, and to this day, I don't really know how I did that. Like, I, I wrote about starting a label on my college essay, and they must have been like, all right, we need one of those guys because, you know, he might be doing <laughs> something. Um, but that was just to get to New York. You know, like, that's like the, the J. Cole story or whatever. I was like, just give me a, a way to, to get to New York, and I'll figure it out from there. And have you visited New York previously to that? or? Man, not like not for a sustained period of time. Like you know, it okay. was, it was like, a quick weekend trip. Yeah, okay. we, we knew culture was in New York. Like, right, everybody right. knows that. So, what year do you come to New York? What year is that? Oh six. Oh six, you come to New yeah. York. Yeah, and and I was a sneakerhead growing up. Okay, obviously, you know, a hip hop fan growing up, but I didn't have access to those things in suburban Boston, quote unquote. Right, right. And now I'm like, oh, okay. You're living right in the heart of it. Mm-hmm. Right, and so that really allowed me to uh, evolve and just grow into the person that I knew that I was in terms of being able to connect the dots on culture and be like, oh, okay, you looking for this, go to this So store. you were connecting the dots on culture before everyone was throwing the word culture around the way we throw Man. it around now or the way it's thrown around now? I don't want to say definitively yes, but, but yeah. I mean, like, I grew up skateboarding, which I, I always bring that up because I forgot about it, but, like, yo, skateboarding is, like, the original, like, melting pot for a lot of culture right it brought rock music and rap yeah. music and, and uh, sneakers and, and and street fashion wear. yeah like yeah all that like i was doing you know like i remember like that was just part of you it was in it the was in America, your dna Volcom, cc i mean like all these brands you know we we learned i learned that there really and so right, right. When, when i talk about you know now we have our so like you said everyone's hashtag culture but before all that like i was shredding my knees up trying to ollie down four stairs you know in some mm-hmm some vans you know so so being in new york kind of just helped it just explode for you in terms of now you're submersed everywhere it's it's everywhere you turn right yeah and it helped me sharpen my sword right because now i can put hip-hop references together with actual places and actually you know like 
like smell and see. And so did you go to like places. 560 State Street? And I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> but, you know, that's probably something I would have done. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's dope, man. So yeah. you get to New York, you're a freshman. What are you in, in business or are you at Tisch? Like, where, where? Economics, yeah. I was okay. in, I was in, the, um, I was in the, the, the Arts and Science College and I ended up doing like a double with the business school because at that time I was like, look, if I'm going to be here, Okay. And, and if I'm going to, like, again, honor my parents and, and really, like, you know, I'm, this is a, a big sacrifice that everybody's making for me to be able to, to go to school, um, I'm going to do everything I can to hold that down. And so I was very, like, uh, I was active, you know, as a, as a student, not academically, but just, like, in terms of, like, being curious and being, like, embedded in things that were happening on campus or in New York City in general. Was it easy to connect with people being from being from out of town and just coming here and being a freshman in, in school, was it easy to just make friends and kind of build a network for yourself? That's an interesting question, man, because I'm, like, I'm a quiet person. Like, I'm, I, sp- I like to spend time with myself. Like, I like to reflect. I like to, to, to improve myself before I feel like I can contribute to other people's lives. Um, and so I'm not the most outgoing person, but I think at the same time, like, I wasn't trying to be someone I wasn't. And so okay. from that perspective, like, yeah, I met, you know, First, I think the most the funniest thing was I met brown people that yeah. I didn't know existed because you know. And oh, you didn't, when you were growing up, there was none of that around. I you? was like the only brown kid in my high school. No cousins, no friends, no like n- none Everybody of that. Everybody was corny. No offense. <laughs> like it, it was just squares. Yeah, you know. And I, and since I was never one, I was like, damn. So you were always cool. Man, I don't want to use cool. I got some <laughs> triple XL jeans that I should not have been wearing. You know, definitely too many too many fitters that I don't know what to do with. But. Um, but I just wasn't a square. I knew that much. And so coming to coming to New York and seeing, like, you know, a bunch of people coming from the East Coast and West Coast, whatever, I was like, oh, okay, this is cool. Um, and I never really hung out with brown people like that until until college. And in college, that, did, that, did that flip a little bit? For a little bit, yeah, a little bit, yeah. I mean, again, like, I, you know, I think all of us can relate to this. Like, we've always been, uh, like, multiculturalism is not a thing for us. That's just what we know. Mm-hmm. Like, be, Standard, yeah. Yeah, like, we, we've always been accepting and... and um, looking to interface with as many people as we can. And I've always been like that. You know, like my friends, you know, half of them locked up and the other half are bankers and, and private <laughs> equity and whatever. And that's Very just, very similar to yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. how we roll too right. as well. And I find myself in the middle. So it's always been like that. Tell me some of the songs on your playlist in that era that you were here, wow. you know, when you got here, 06. Yeah, I remember. So I would say 06 to 2010 then, right? Yep. Your college years. Yep. Um... So I was really big. I, mean, I grew up on what we now call backpack hip hop, like the Rockus Records era. You know, like that whole. In addition to to Hove and Nas and all of that, right. like my my real depth of understanding about hip hop came from from Blackstar, from Pharrell Monch, um, from from the Roots, and that that evolved to Little Brother. Um, and so during that '06 era, I used to listen to a lot of that. I don't know what we want to call it. I guess it's backpack, like the the Little Brothers, Ninth Wonder, like Odyssey. Um, I call it the real shit. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, not yeah. to, to say the other shit's not, but yeah, it's just... Sure. Or conscious hip-hop, some people call yeah, it. Yeah, I don't too, like... Yeah, yeah. That, that, I, people, just, I just say the real, yeah, and, and like, people get it. Because it was like, who's still, who still has bars? At that time, you know, 06, mm-hmm. like, right. you could still have bars. Like, Sky Zoo was, was slowly building, and things, you know, I was, like, in that kind of space. Right, and then right in that time is also when, like, the commercial stuff was still hitting, like, but Lil Wayne was commercial at that yeah. time. Drake was about to hit at that time. Yeah. Oh, eight. Yeah. Right. So it's like mm-hmm. you're listening to 
stuff that's not super popular in the right. mainstream, and then there's this, all this other stuff that's coming out. So, does that kind of influence your thought process at all? Like the music you listen to, like, like in how you maneuver, what you do, how you, like does that later kind of influence how you maneuver today on a day to day basis? Yeah, that's a great question. I think like, to, and you mentioned Drake. Like, I remember when you when you Googled Drake, and it would be Drake and Josh. Right, That's right, when I start, right. I start, and I and I heard Drake because I listened to Little Brother and Tanya Morgan, and he was doing songs with Fonte and all these guys, you know, on on the road for improvement yeah. slash that era. Um, and to answer the question directly is, I think what it taught me was like how to find value and how to find things before they pop. Like knowing what was what was gonna be next has been so inf- important in my life. That's one of the smartest things I've ever heard you say. Find value in things before they pop. Oh, you told me I'm not allowed to repeat key things that. Nah, that you can say, right? you can you say whatever. That I can't say that because it nah, slows if, down the podcast. If it's a gem, it's a gem. You gotta <laughs> that's acknowledge a fucking it. Gem, yeah, bro. hell yeah. Can you say that one more time? Yeah, through hip hop and through that whole experience, I learned uh, how to identify things that were gonna take off and that were next, and knowing how to be there before they took off and before they pop. We're gonna go completely out of order because that that is a super gem. And now you sit as the CEO of Green Room Creative. Yeah. Tell us about it. Because that, I feel, is ties into mm. yeah, absolutely. finding things before they pop. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to figure out how far I want to go back because I have to give it some context. But Absolutely. Absolutely. Know, go back as far as you want. But like CEO, boss, creative agency, help brands, help people, help yeah. deliver messages. Man, I all almost all of it to hip-hop music and, and i'll explain why is because I, I mentioned i started a label in high school you know mm. and what was the name of that green street records green street mm-hmm. what's green street so green street and i started it with a with a you know my best friend at the time and and my, my business partner for years to come after that green street was this jazz record that we really loved like we used to really go dig for vinyl come home put it on a player sample it this is oh six like People are this is in school while you're in school. I'm sorry, this is 04. This okay. is in high school. This okay. is skipping gym or right, right, right. physical ed or whatever they called it mm-hmm. and, and being like, nah, we're going to go cop vinyl. And then coming home, you know, hooking up to the mixer, pulling it. So you had DJ equipment and stuff? Yeah, my boy did. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. And, and that's how we, like, that's how we approached hip hop. Like, we, you know, Fruity Loops was something where we were like, ah, we don't want to touch it. Okay. Um, all that aside. So I, I started this, this label thing. Um, that slowly grew into an actual label where I was actually running ops on a day-to-day basis. In high school? Yeah, and then in college, and then after college. So Green Street Green continued? Street yeah, oh, for sure. llc and all that? Everything. I don't know how how deep you want me to go, because we could, we could go before we get to <laughs> Let's Green. Go. Let's, Let's go. Let's go, yeah. Okay. Um, I started Green Street Records in high school, and, and at the time, this is MySpace era, you know, everything is is happening and I'm realizing like the internet has made connecting and leveraging whatever small sounds or networks and audiences you have, you can now leverage that. 10 so X you caught on to that early. Early. So sim- yeah. like just knowing that something's about to pop again. Yeah. And, and we had, uh, we had physical CDs, we had merch and we were doing these like pop-up shows while still in high school. And they weren't called pop-ups at the time, right? Yo, it was during like a lunch period. Like we <laughs> right. have flyers right. and we'd go show up to this corner of this building. Right. You know, and it was like it was it was wild, but this is like I was, this and is And what, what was, was your you were you were the label head or you I, were I used to rap 
I used to run the label and I used to executive produce and market everything. And wow. this is because of the music you were listening to, Jay Z influence. Yeah, Talib. I could do it too. Yeah, and and uh, you know, it was like again, it was where I had the first chance to share my story and, and share my voice. You know, like my voice now is being uh, put on something, and then that's being shared. So I'm. So you were like actually. Where where was the studio? Where were you recording? It was in my friend's bedroom, man. Like, like what? Mic, mixer? Mic, mixer, going into the lab. Sampler or no? Are you just taking industry beats? No, we, no, no, sampler. I mean, we okay. had an Adobe Audition. That was the only free software you could buy at that time. Mm. And you'd have to time stretch the, 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 the loop you sampled. Okay. And then put the metronome with the drums mm-hmm. and then, you know, like swing it a little bit. Okay. So you know, you were already figuring out how to create a record. Yeah. Not just rhyme over... Correct. An industry beat. Correct. And that's in the high school. That's in high school. Okay. Yeah, we dropped our first album, like a 12 song. We had it printed physically. Um, we dropped it like the, the month before we graduated. And, wow. You know, like, I'm like, I got to keep it a buck. Like, in high school, like, not only was I not trying to be popping, but I wasn't like, like, nobody cared. Like, this skinny brown kid who's rapping, <laughs> you know, like, just doing his own thing. He don't be at parties. He don't be. You know, so you weren't out. You weren't like no, because like I knew that like that wasn't where my energy was best spent. You know, like I was like trying to like get my my intellectual bars up and really learn about the world and myself, and also create and be you know be be a creative person. Does that does oh go ahead? I was gonna say you that, but you still must have had some sort of a following if you had merch and CDs and things like that. And And again, I wasn't a square. You know, that's that's the thing that I was. I was cool. Everybody again, like I was cool, but like I wasn't. Um, I wasn't popular, nor was I trying to be. You know, and and looking back, we always joke like, oh, those those kids in high school that, you know, were popular. You know, (laughs) it's interesting. You said you were cool with everyone, but you weren't popular. Yeah, I've I've. I get it completely, but I've never actually heard anyone say that. Like, mm. you're cool with mad people, but, like, you just didn't need to be everywhere or yeah. you didn't have to be that guy. Yeah. And so, you know, and, and I think the best thing was, like, I was cool with being who and where I was. Like, I wasn't trying. You know, like, some of those, like, some 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 brown kids be wilding out trying to be, like, the guy, you know, on every scene. And I was like, no, nah, that's not who I was. But anyway, um, so we put this album out. You know, we what was the name of the album? Living on Green Street. Okay. Um, we selling them for ten dollars a pop. And to school you know, only, right now. Yeah, to school only, and it's on iTunes. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah, because okay. I figured out, like, oh, I could go to CD Baby and do a direct digital distro deal and get seventy percent of, of of my sales directly deposited to my account, or get a check in the mail. And I was like, that'll work. Um, <laughs> and you know, and then we did. That's dope. Ahead of the okay. curve, man. Yeah, way ahead. A little bit, a little bit. Uh. And then we did some merch, and then we did some some you know pop up shows. And so now, not only so the shows were free. That was the exposure. Yeah, yeah exactly. But um, then the merch maybe would sell, but maybe you'd give some pieces away to your peoples. Yeah, I mean, again, it was like you know I had a relationship. Like, Yo, you know, captain of the basketball team, go wear this during warm ups, whatever. Hold me. Oh, down. so influencer marketing back Yo, then, early, <laughs> early okay. in the game. You know what I mean. <laughs> Um, and, and the craziest thing was like, we started selling and we started moving and people started being like, yo, what is, this is actually really dope. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. So you, know, you were the rapper and producer? No, I had a producer. So my, my best friend was my producer and, and he, he was, was a partner in the label too. He was too. a partner. Yeah. And I was rapping, uh, EP and, and then marketing and packaging and, and everything else. Okay. So it was just one rapper, you? Just me. Got it. Yeah. So on some like guru premiere shit. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, cool! Big, big influence for us. For I need. Sure. To, can you send me those records? 
I definitely can send you Green Street Records. I don't know about that first album, but I can definitely <laughs> can I, send you. Can I find that first album on iTunes? Yeah. I'm going to find that shit. It's <laughs> trash. <laughs> it's cool, it's but I'd, trash, I'd like to hear it. It's interesting. Um, but yeah, so anyway, I take that, and that's why getting to New York was so important. You know, like, how can I, how can I get to the place I need to be at when I have all this creative energy? Um, but the craziest thing was for the first year of, of, of college, I was like, just trying to keep my head above Where, water. Where'd you live? Which thing. dorm did you live in? I, you know, I lived three floors below where Rick Rubin and Russell Simmons started Def Jam. Wow. What building was that? Weinstein. Weinstein. You lived in Weinstein. Yeah. That was on like right on the, right in front of the park, right? Right in front of the park. With the steps going, uh, a couple steps going on. Yeah. I used to live in Brittany. Wow. And I lived in 210 Water Street. I'm leaving. Yeah, <laughs> just so you know. Um, that's, well, WNYU is there now in Weinstein. Okay. Or used to be there. But I only lived on campus for one year because... I was broke, and so I moved to Brooklyn. Yeah, it was like, dumb expensive. Yeah, it was wild. But, you know, anyway, so fast forward a little bit. Um, I'm, in, I'm in college, and I'm like, you know what? I should get back into being who I am. Like, I'm a creative person. Like, school is cool, but it's time to go. Started doing open mics at whatever student organizations and this, that, and the third. What were some of those student organizations? Oh, my God. Um, you ever pop up at Shruti? <laughs> I did not, but I probably did everything else around it. Um, okay. Talk about, like, business fraternity. Talk about, like, Muslim Students Association. Whoever was trying to give me a, a platform, a, a, a little platform to do my thing. I was, I was doing spoken word. I mean, like, I was doing acapellas. Who, who, who wants bars? I was trying to give it to Would everybody. you do that now, right now? Bars? Would you give me some spoken word right now? Absolutely not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we cool. might, I might give you a verse after the break, but I okay, got to think cool. about it. Where's your Where's your partner now? So you guys were together in high school. Yeah. You moved to NY for, yeah. to go to NYU. He's in Boston. He's still in yeah, Boston. He's okay. still in Boston. What? Internet, you know, internet okay. things. Yeah. Got it. Um, so let's fast forward a little bit, kind of midway through college. Um, if people are listening. Y'all know what Nike Talk is. I don't know. If of course. Is. The I was big on Nike Talk, and, okay. and Wale was like, "Yo, I got the show at SOBs or whatever Highline." On Nike Talk. Yeah. Whoever's wow, right. NT come through, put me on your guest list, whatever. That's um, crazy. And so man. I'm How listening. to connect back then. Yeah. And so I'm listening to like that type of music. I was really into Wale and J. Cole and all this. And Wale and, was heavy with the kicks. Yeah. And like that was like, you know, I, I, I used this, this, this night because I just remember kind of meeting him after. I was like, yo, good looks. Thank you for putting me on the list. And, and I just realized like, yo, I could actually probably do this myself. Not be Wale, but I could get back into building like this movement and, and using online and doing this thing and getting back to it. And so um, we just, we set up the studio. My friend from Boston actually moved to New York, my partner, and we moved, we had this illegal apartment in Brooklyn, man, with... What do you mean illegal apartment? Man, let's, that thing, it was like, <laughs> there was no like flooring, there was like uh, no <laughs> carpet, we, there was a hole in the ceiling. Like, Someone rented it to you though, right? He wasn't supposed to. Yeah, okay. you know, like it was like borderline trap house. If you sat in a toilet, your knees hit the wall in front of you. Okay, you know, so I, I was like living. I was doing that, and I was going to NYU in the in the, true New York yeah, experience. Yeah, now you're real, real things, and so, but again, <laughs> why, so why do you choose that versus like I can afford it? and That's all I can afford. Okay, you so know. your parents say you're no more on the on the family. It wasn't plan. even no more. It was just like we had everybody was trying to do the best for everybody else. Yeah. Like you know, they were contributing what they could so the mindset so you didn't come from like pop said i'm gonna pay this 40 fifty thousand dollars whatever it was to go to school Never, no. you just get there and then figure it out yeah, yeah i mean like we yeah i was working um i was i was like what were some of the jobs like so you were working uh yeah I was, and going to school maintaining trying to maintain good grades and then and doing the music doing the music thing so what were some of the like places you worked like 
before I say that, I got a funny thing about the place, the things I used to do for bread. <laughs> they used to have these like um, like marketing studies or whatever on campus. Like you just mm-hmm. sign up and they make you run experiments and they give you fifteen dollars for five minutes. Like I used to sign up for all them joints, man. I once hit some kind of jackpot, made like two hundred dollars off some random thing, and I thought I was done. I was gonna retire. Like, I thought I was <laughs> um, and uh, the craziest thing is, and this is kind of right before. Um, actually, no, this is all during that whole era. I used to work at a hedge fund. I used to do equity research at a hedge fund because I had somehow got an internship and flipped that into a part-time job, flipped that into a full-time job. Wow. So I was working during the day and going to school in the evening and then going to the studio or going wherever we were recording at night. And I did that for about a solid year. And then I had This is your freshman or sophomore year? Sophomore year. Sophomore year. Okay. Yeah, and I had built up a little bit of bread from that to the point where I basically stopped working and I was like, All right, I got enough for rent and we're just going to put the money into the music. Um, and, and so then I was like slowly transitioning from whatever shadow of a college kid I wanted to be into like really being a creative person. Um, and I had, uh, randomly somebody, you know, reached out to me and was like, yo, I have a connect for Wiz Khalifa. If you like want to talk to him and do something with him. And I was like, who's that somebody like a random friend or yeah, random friend, friend of a friend. Like okay. just, just, it just fell in my lap. And I was and like, how big was Wiz at the time? This is flight school era. Okay. So this is like he's, you know, it's that piff and not right and he's mm. he's everywhere, but he's not everywhere. Yeah, he's bubbling. Right. Yeah. And the people who knew knew. Like, you know, and he was he was slowly taking, you know, taking over like a lot of like the just conversation. Um So school's out now or you're still maintaining still school? Still in school. Okay, still wow. In school. Yeah. Okay. This is like my sophomore year summer. Wow. And uh I was like, all right, yeah, cool. Let me figure out what we could do. I reached out to him, talked to his manager, and he was like, look, we're actually trying to come to New York. We've never performed in New York before. Can you make that happen? Do you know anybody that can make it happen? And I'm sitting in my illegal apartment. My bed is on the floor. And I was like, yeah, I can make it happen. Long story short, I found an investor to put up his his guarantee. My friend used to book shows. How much did Wiz want at the time? $1,500 for a show. Jeez. So I was the first person to bring Wiz Khalifa to New York City. Wow. My okay. friend what year is that? 08. 08. So now you're soft, sophomore. Yeah, something like so- sophomore, sophomore, junior, junior year. Whatever. Okay. Yeah. Um, my friend was a... was a 1,500. Uh, dog. My friend used to book shows at Webster's, the studio. Okay. And he was like, Wizard Khalifa. Who? Like, what? So, no, I was working at Webster at that exact time. You were? Yes. Wow. Yeah. I worked directly for the owner at that time. I saw the flyer from that night. Cause it, what night was it? A Thursday, a Friday? It was that? in the summer. It was in July. It was like a, it was like a Thursday, a okay. Wednesday or a Thursday at the studio. Uh, it's crazy. I, I want to f- go back to that at some point and figure out if we were there at the same time. That would be amazing. Yeah. Um, so I convinced my my friend, not like a friend of a friend who was booking shows at Webster. I was like, just trust me on this. I got you. Um, and and I somehow put this show together. And I put our group, um, I put Green Street on the, as the support act. So Green Street was the group and the name of the label. Green Street Records was the name of the label. Green Street was the name of the group. But the group was still just DJ and rapper. Correct. That changed at some point, right? It did. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And so I was like, I'm going to put us the support. So um, you slid yourself in there as the opening act. That's correct. <laughs> for and after that, it was Wiz. For, that's, that's a really good hustle uh, story, right? Like Absolutely. You, you got this bigger artist that's going to fill up the room and then you're going to nicely just yeah. ensure that you're on right before the artist. No disrespect to Wiz, but I think we brought out more people that night. You should have brought yeah. out. That, but that's, that's, a, that's yeah. what happens. Yeah. Because you have 
NYU, you have exactly. local, you have, exactly. and then Wiz is like the bonus on top of that, right. like almost like we're going to Ani's party, and Wiz is doing a set. Correct. Right. Correct. That's exactly what it is. And I somehow had the piece, like the the presence of mind, to reach out to press, to to do what I could and and get these people here on Wiz's name, and then also be like, oh, but these kids are opening. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I remember this one this one dude from Impose Magazine, he wrote this piece. He was like, these guys must sell weed out of their dorms at NYU because they had 100 kids there an hour early or whatever. Like, there was a line. And I was like, I don't sell weed. I don't live in a dorm. But, yeah, we did we did do that. Anyway, that night just kind of crystallized, like, my, my – uh, efforts and my vision and and gave me confidence to be like it's time to really to really go was that night um a profitable night financially for you uh i think we broke even you we broke, broke even. even so yeah. i, I kind of just want to touch on that for a second absolutely please so you invest all this time months right weeks whatever it may be put your crew to perform take a risk by paying this guy fifteen hundred dollars who is who is maybe not going to fill up the room you did you rent the spot too or did this did Webster give you the place? Like, I want to talk about the business a little yeah, bit. Yeah, we we rented the spot. Right, so like you a paid seven fifty flat fee. Okay, so you paid some money. So you just put put out all this money, and you broke even. Mm-hmm. But when you broke in and, and broke even at zero, was it still a win for you? Absolutely. Why? Tell us about that, because a lot of people get it confused. Like, yeah. like if you're not financially making money on one play then you shouldn't do it. And this is people specifically in music yeah. and in our fields. Like, ah, there's no check with it. Ah, we're breaking even, so why am I going to do it? Yeah. Right? Um, yeah, I mean, simply put, the relationships, okay. the experience, like the, the, the win and the losses or whatever you took throughout that whole night, like that's learning for the future. And uh, the last thing is the, the confidence that you gain from pulling something off like that or, you know, executing on your vision. Meyer, we say it's props. Does props, props count for anything? Absolutely. Who got the props? <laughs> Who got the props? So that's that's like something that you could see like somebody doing early on in their career. Would that is that something that you like would see people doing or see yourself doing later on, even with experience and things like that? Or I still do it to this day. Yeah, yeah. I'm not I'm not afraid to get my hands dirty, and and I have some you know some really good mentors that reinforce that. Like, yo, don't ever think that just because you did this campaign with whoever whatever that you can't go back to to ground zero and have to build it all up again so throughout that process always make sure you're you're um learning first and you know chasing the check is is not gonna and you guys know this because you guys have been doing this way longer than i have but all money's not good money right and so when you chase the check you can put yourself in a position you get hemmed up versus if you're always doing work that you love and you're doing work that that you're doing it because you want to like create the best product possible, that's always going to put you in a better position. Outcome, not income, right, Sharad? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Bars. <laughs> I mean, we have this discussion in our business. Yeah. Like, we're doing this, but why are we doing this? Are we making money? So I've been, lately, I've been like, ah, we don't need to make money. We just need to do dope shit, and the money will continually come. But we also, and you we have to run a business. So how do we balance that as business owners? You're an entrepreneur at this point. How do you balance that today? Absolutely. It's, it's not, I don't think it's A or B. Like, I don't think it's black and white. There are, there are periods or there are projects that we do for the fact that we love the idea or that we believe in a founder. Wait, are we talking about green room now? We're talking about green room. We got to go back to green street. (laughs) Yeah. Talking about green room. Wait, so, okay. So you do this thing with Khalifa. What happens? Like, 
That's it? Green Room starts? Uh, no, green, <laughs> green Room doesn't start until a lot later, man. Right. Green Room is, is different. What happens is uh, Wiz calls us like a couple months later. It's like, you guys want to do like a couple tour dates with us? Now, does Wiz hit you direct or does like his Wiz's manager, people's yeah, hit you? Yeah, w- Will, okay. this guy Will, he still manages Wiz to this day. That's my guy. Okay. Um, you know, he's just he's just a really like hardworking dude and he just hit us. And the funniest thing is... In, now, what? so they saw talent in you or they saw the potential that you could help fill an arena or a small space with them? A combination of both. I think they saw hustle. I think they saw somebody that, and you guys notice in the industry, like people don't keep their word. Right. And for me, like I think growing up as a brown kid, growing up as somebody that had no... To this day, there's no backstop. Like There's no safety net. Like If things don't work out, then that's a problem. Mm. And so... Meaning for you? For, for me, for my family, for the people that... You know, my staff, my employees, like... Just early on from from a young age, like I knew, like if I don't keep my word, like I, I'm nobody, and so that's just something that I always have really been big on to this day. Like I'll, you know, if I tell a client we're gonna do something and and that doesn't happen within budget, like I, everybody's working for free until we fulfill what we said we do, and I and I'll take the L on that because that was my word. But but yeah, I think they saw somebody that just executed, um, and so we did, you know, a couple spot dates with them, and. Uh, so now it's Green Street it's opening Green Street for record. yeah opening, opening for, Wiz. for Wiz Khalifa. So yeah. you're in different cities now with them, yeah. And now you're not the promoter; you're just literally going there as an act. Yeah, and Peter Schwartz is calling me when I'm. Wait, is there a budget is for you guys, or yeah, you're baby on your own budget, but baby small budget, budget. Yeah, baby basically budget. covering your costs. Yeah, yeah, okay. little baby budgets, and we still have to fight for that. The venue's like, oh no, you know they didn't tell us. I was like, nah, you know they did tell us, so figure it out. And I'm learning how to you know stick my chest out and get what I need. Okay. Um, I'm in 8 a.m. accounting, and Peter Schwartz is calling me like, "Yo, you guys gonna make this date?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm leaving. You know, I'm leaving JFK at 6 p.m. Whatever. You know, like I'm doing all this. I'm still in school, right? Um, and so I guess let's just fast forward. I love that though. Yeah, yeah. That during school you were, you already had a business running. It might not have been right. profitable, but it was the absolutely foundation for you sitting here right now. Absolutely, and and. That's exactly what it was, and, and you said it better than I could. Like it was, it was a foundation, and um, y'all know, and everybody who's in the industry, the music industry, knows this. Like it's, it's a lot of ups and downs, and there's a lot of like, nothing is ever what you expect it to be. And so if you go in there with the expectations of yo, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna be popping or whatever, like it's just very rarely gonna work out. And that patience, like that, I didn't have that as a as a young kid. I was in a rush. I think a lot of people are in a rush, but I was in a rush. And patience is something that came to me throughout a different experience that I went through. But, yeah, we can get to that later. But it was it was down the road that I learned patience. Back then, I was just ready to go. Um, but, yeah, fast forward through college, you know, I um, continue to do this, continue to do these spot dates. We're doing stuff with, like, Lupe Fiasco now. We've done stuff with... Is that um, through the WizConnect? Like, they're just... Everyone's clicking you up? No, like- it was more like the, the brand had now grown, and so colleges would reach out, or we would have people be like, you really need to book Green Street for your, for your you know, winter concert or whatever. Like, it was just... You know, wow. and, you know, college is a fertile environment. Like, for every, you know, for we know this. Like, that's a, a place where you can go every day and have an audience built in. You can ask them to give you critique on music. You could try to sell them something. That doesn't happen once you're, you know, 25, you live in, in an apartment with a couple people, whatever it is, like, that audience is gone. Right, right. It's very different. And so I, I understood the the value of that, and I think I also understood the value of digital and just, like, learning how to meld those two worlds and leveraging social media and building audience and all that stuff I'm doing kind of unconsciously because I need to do it in order to... Did you have a Friendster account? 
I'd never had friends. <laughs> nah, man. Went from my, so. MySpace straight to Facebook. Facebook, Twitter, yeah. yeah. Twitter, I was really. There was one before Friendster. I forgot what it was called. No, that was it. That, that was, was it. it. It was Friendster first, and then MySpace, I think. Yeah. If I couldn't share my link for music on there, and if it wasn't gonna help pop that off, I wasn't on that network. Chances are. Um, I graduated from school, barely, and I made the mistake of taking a job. And and I. Interesting. Was, you call it a mistake. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Mistake meaning. Um, maybe a mistake for a reason, but it was still like I look back on it now, and I, I look at my twenty-two-year-old self, and I was scared. Like, and I was that was right. okay. Like, or, was, but you did the what you're supposed to do from society rules. Right, you right, okay. and and um, you know, it was like something that you know, it wasn't the perfect situation, but I knew that it was better than walking away with nothing. And so I took this job. I worked there for two weeks at a consulting gig in Jersey, and I was like, nah. This is not going to work out. And I didn't have any other plan. I didn't have anything. I just I just left that. I went back to Brooklyn. So did you, like, tell your boss, like, yo, I'm out? Yeah. He, he, he man, he had, like, Googled me before the interview. Okay. Oh, and man. on, like, the third round, he was like, look, we really want you. You're really sharp, but we know, like, you have this other thing. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I have I have this other thing. It's music, and I'm, I'm passionate about it. He's like, is it going to get in the way of the job? Obviously, at that time, I got to say no. Mm. Um, but deep down, I was like, hell yeah, it's going to get in the way of the job. Like, I'm just waiting to see how far I can take it. <laughs> Unfortunately, two weeks was all I got until I was like, Grand nah, opening, grand closing. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, but that that time, man, being 22 years old, living in New York City with no income, with no... Um, Are you in Manhattan or still in Brooklyn? I'm in Brooklyn. I'm in Bushwick okay. before Bushwick was Bushwick. Okay. Well, Bushwick was always Bushwick. It's now, just a different Bushwick. Yeah, now they're Bushwick calling it uh, East Williamsburg. Yeah. Or something. I used to cop in Bushwick. Yeah, I believe it. Bushwick <laughs> I, I and seen, Elder, to be exact, from wow. the dreads. I lived yeah, yeah. on... I lived on uh, Remember that? Chocolate tie. Yeah, yeah, so good. I lived on, on Cornelia and uh, That was another spot, Irving. too. Yeah. Cornelia was a big spot. Cornelia and Bushwick. That so was a cop spot. When I moved to Bushwick, it was if you opened up your window, whatever, you'd see people getting pulled out of their whips. Absolutely. And I, yo, I got like that was light Bushwick. Yeah, I, I mean, I got slammed to the ground by cops in Bushwick. Yeah, I believe it. Pants taken off, paws damn near, like everything <laughs> searched. And I was like, yo, unfortunately, officer, I go to NYU. You know, not not on some pompous shit. I was like, that's not like you got this jammed up, and if you do this again, it's gonna be a problem. But, you know, they wasn't trying to hear any of that. I still got it. Did you say it just like that? Nah. <laughs> nah. This is, I'm talking with my chest now. I'll back then, I, was like, I was like, you still got a problem. But I was like, you know, what am I going to do? Nowadays, if that happened, it's, oh, baby, it's, pay, it's a payoff. It's a payoff. But nah, so anyway, so I'm in Bushwick. I'm broke. Um, I'm eating these, these dollar tacos that nobody should ever eat. Um, and I'm trying to figure it out, whatever random hustle is trying to put something together. And, uh, we're still performing and still making music and still being active. And I get a call from uh, somebody that I knew was a promoter on the scene or whatever. He was like, look, um, there's an opportunity to go to Tokyo. Uh, Marlboro, the cigarette company, is doing this campaign called One Pack, One Track. They want to license your music, and they're going to fly you out there. You're going to do a festival, a bunch of shows, and live out there for three weeks. Are you interested? That's early experiential marketing, right? <sighs> Brand you yeah. know, activation yeah, yeah, deal yeah, yeah. and all yeah. of that. And I was like... I was like, yeah, I'm interested, you know, and, and the next thing, you know, the winter of, of, of that year, I was in Tokyo with three of my best friends, um, and we lived out there for three weeks. We did, like, 15 shows, um, and it changed my life entirely. Wow, three weeks? Three weeks in Tokyo, paid at 22, and 
off a rap, mind you. Like, not, right, right, I know right. y'all have done way a lot off rap, so for me to say that, no, 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 is, I mean, that's all that's but a big at that deal. time, like, and I was like, this okay, so now I really don't have any excuse, like, I gotta go. Um, and for the for the for the sake of kind of conciseness, I basically did two and a half years of this where I went back to Tokyo, put out music like number one album on DJ Booth, Double uh, XL, The Break. We were both in the magazine and on you know online and press and all this. And 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 it's funny um, throughout all this, I'm playing the racially ambiguous card. So when people would ask, I would say, Yeah, my parents are from India. You know, I'm Indian, but. It was something where people just assumed I was Dominican or they assumed I was whatever, and I never challenged it. And looking back on that, I feel like that might have been the biggest mistake I made as an artist. Um, and looking at how things have shifted now, right, where, like, mm. South Asian culture is about to really blow. Like, it's about to be mainstream, like, in not, not that long. But back then, people weren't ready, and maybe I wasn't ready as well. Um, it was different back very, then. Very different. And so, you know, we're doing a backpack, boom bap, rap thing, but we're also trying to make it you know it's fun like it's fun boom bap um we could sell webster hall out in new york city the studio and like we have a following and things are popping i get a uh, i get an offer to score a bollywood film in india with with one of my mentors who had basically one of his music had got picked up for this film and he was like do you want to come to india with me for six weeks to score it with hip-hop or to score it with it was like this fusion track that he had done, and he was like, mm-hmm. I need some help on that. I need some help with styling and, and, and tour managing, and I want to put you on a couple shows. And I was like, man, like this is something I've probably been working for my whole life. You know, I'm 24. To go to India off of hip-hop, to go see my family. Huge. To go, you know, complete is like completing the loop almost. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, wow. Like, it just, it meant a lot to me, and, and it still does, and that experience was incredible. Um, and, and so before I left for tour, I had a routine doctor's appointment, you know, went in there and make sure I was checked up, everything was good. And, um, you know, the doctor's taking a little bit longer to come out of the, you know, typical movie thing. I'm like, what's going on? I'm about to, I need to go home. Um, he comes out and he says, uh, you know, he's like, you know, slow down for a second. Uh, you have end-stage kidney failure. And you have three months to, to basically live on your existing kidneys until you need to go on dialysis or you need to basically find a kidney transplant. Word for word. And I was like... I was like, man. Damn. So quick backstory is I grew up with the with the kidney condition. Like I knew I had it, which is why I always went so hard and which is why I was always so like purpose driven in all like the things that I did. Because I knew that if my time ever ran out on me, that I would be very content with what I had done. And and if it were to end on a random Thursday, I would look back and be like, you know, did that Wiz Khalifa show though. Like <laughs> yeah. really, really got it popping. So um, impact was first, money was second, always. always. Yo, I didn't make no money the first 25 years of my life. Like, I got to keep it real for people. Like, I just, like, we just closed, like, seven figures on the real estate investment side, which I'll talk about later. But I didn't make no money the first 25 years of my life, like, straight up. And, and, and I knew I wasn't making money, but that just wasn't my, like, focus. Like, yeah, I wanted to make money, but I think I was bigger on just, like, learning and building myself up. But I get diagnosed with end-stage kidney failure, and I make a decision at that time. I was like, all right, well, I'm going to go to India for, for six weeks, and I have three months, so whatever that leaves me with another six weeks. And I was like, I'll figure it out when I get back. Wow. Yeah. That was a risky move right Hella there. Hella risky. Everyone looked at me like, you're crazy. And and that's that's where I was in my life. And you went so you could do this 
score and and I'll do like your shows. Miss, miss out on that opportunity. Yeah, I don't. I think I went more to complete the loop, like I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Like I think I went more to see my family in case anything crazy got went down, and I didn't see him ever again. I went for that, and I went to um, to be able to like tell myself like, yo, you really did that. And so if you know things go terribly wrong, like you you did almost everything that you said you were gonna do, and people saw it. And you kept your word, and you did that, and that was important to me. Um, did the tour of India is incredible, you know? But I was sick, like I was not feeling well. And, and midway through, I was like, man, okay. Like getting up in the morning was a hassle. Like it was it was tough. I got back home, um, and I still really wasn't. I was in the, like I was in the studio, like I was I was wilding out. I had a show at the New Eurekan, where I was performing one night there, and after I performed, like I think I going home I passed out or something like my friends had to take me home and the next day I basically had to go to the ER and and they were like yeah your your kidneys are shutting down on you you need to go into dialysis right now and I was uh 24 I'm 24 and that was the day that like you know that that day still marks like the like almost phase one for me because I had been running from this or just kind of like living with it and and trying to figure out how to get around it but there is no way to get around certain things um, and I had to deal with it that day. Um, and I went back to Boston. You know, I went back to my family. And um, that was tough. Like, it was a really tough time for me because I had, I had basically been on this trajectory, right? And, and Path, uh, you, you were yeah, there. Yeah, and I actually spoke at this event last night. I was talking to a bunch of kids at, uh, in TC, at TCNJ. And, and I basically mentioned, like, that fear that some people have of losing everything that they've worked for. Like, that was my moment right there where I was like, wow, I might actually lose everything I've worked for. Um, and looking back now, like, that was probably one of the, the best things to happen to me because it, if I got over that, I knew I could get over everything else. But at that time, like, I was like, man, this, is, this can't be how the story ends. You know? So it forced you to stop. Forced me to stop everything and to really, like, figure out what was important to me. And the answer, unfortunately, at the end was, like, the same answer. Music was important to me. Being creative was important to me. My narrative was important to me, and and sharing my story was important to me. Um, and so I went on dialysis. And if for everyone who knows that is like that's a really tough, tough experience. Like my uh, explain that to the listener. <clears throat> so your kidneys stop working, and and what your kidney does is it, f- it filters and cleans your blood mm-hmm. in your system, and so you're able to breathe and digest food and break everything down because of that function. When that stops, you can't clean the blood in your system. And you have to get hooked up to a machine. They, they plug like a, a, I don't even know what it's called, a catheter, like a wire into your heart. They're pumping the blood from your heart into this machine, which is cleaning it, putting it back into your body. So the machine replaces the kidney. Exactly. Man, if, that's something I don't wish on anybody. Um, y'all know Freeway you mm-hmm. know, is, is going through that right now. And, and I remember when I found out that Free got diagnosed, man, I broke down because my, my mentor is Amir who is Free's manager and, and longtime, you know, confidant. And I was like, man, because I, I had just got healthy, fast-forwarding, but, like, when I had found out about Free, I was like, this is crazy. But back to dialysis, man, like, it's crazy. Three times a week, you know, you feel miserable. Like, my mom's pulled up and sat with me through every single And so session. you went back home I was to go through this. shut down. I had to Airbnb my apartment. I had to, like, hit my roommate, like, yo, hold me down. Like, let me know 
what I owe you, like what, like I just had to leave overnight. Like I didn't bring wow. no clothes with me. Like it was crazy. So how'd you get through the, like the dialysis was just for a short period of time. Like what nah. was the next step after that? Yeah. Dialysis is indefinite until you find a kidney. Got um, it. And, and that's the toughest thing. And so I would do these dialysis sessions and then I'll go to the studio or like if I had a day off, like I would go know. to the studio in Boston. Though. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so was, the yeah. music never stopped. No, no. And, and, um, ultimately I think that's what kind of helped me, you know, push through at the same time. But, um, we were indefinitely on dialysis until we found a kidney. So my dad early on got approved as a match, and we were really excited about that. Um, but then that means he would have to give up one of his kidneys right. and live differently. Correct. Okay. And then midway through that process, we found out that he wasn't. Like They, they went back and said, oh, no, nah, my bad. He's not approved. Okay. And I was like, okay, so which one is it? Mm. You know. And then they, they came back and said, oh, well, he might be, but we're not sure we want to operate. Why? What Men- was the mentally reason? taxing Dog, it, mentally, what was the reason my dad has he had some some rare blood type that okay. they've never seen before wow and and they brought it up to a panel kind of like a medical panel 10 top right, right, right. doctors whatever and they literally split five and five and they were like five people said we should operate and the other five said no it's too risky interesting um, so with that high level of risk analysis they'll probably like it's crazy right okay and so and he wanted to, obviously. Man, he was like, he's like, I'll sign whatever waiver I need to. You know, like, it was it was crazy. And, um, you know, for me, like, he's always been such a rock for, for me. But then also seeing him, a, a parent never wants, and you know, and y'all know this, like, a parent never wants to be helpless. Like, that's the worst, the worst feeling. And seeing him helpless, I was like, man, this is, this is tough. And so, you know, we, we really coalesced as a family and we really came together around that um long story short uh they basically to schedule a transplant date they said okay you guys want to do it we're gonna do it and and you know like pray for the best and we signed waivers and everything and the night before they called and they're like sorry we have to cancel like we feel good about it and and this was like if i like i can't even make this up like this is really what we went through um and and they did that twice. So we had two dates that we were supposed to get a transplant, and they canceled the day before. And then they gave us a third date. And I was like, I mean, at this point, we have no expectations, you know? Yeah. But it did happen on the third date. Um, and uh, we didn't know if we were going to make it out. You know, like, it was this... It, we Literally, like, you don't know if you're going to make it alive because of all these things that they, the doctors can't call, whatever. Um, and, you know, like... By the grace of God, like we we made it out, and and uh, <clears throat> the medical team at the the hospital Brigham Brigham and Women's in Boston, like they were incredible. So you um, leave that with functional kidneys. So I leave that with one functional kidney, and okay. my dad has one functional kidney remaining. To this day, that's how it is. To this day, that's how it is. And, and most everyone normally has two. Two, yeah. So I was born with like one and a half, and okay. then kidney function decreases over time. So. You know, it's a, it's a matter of time. How does that change your lifestyle, like, after the surgery? Is it everything's yeah. drastically improved now? Like, After surgery was probably the hardest time of my life. I couldn't walk, like, because your entire body is paralyzed. Mm. Like, how, your bottom, bottom of your body is paralyzed. I had to learn how to eat again, how to, to take a piss again, how to walk again. Like, it was, it was like, so I that's remember. That's like a, a year, six months? Like, what it's was like that? six months. I remember being 24 and having to learn to, like, 
go to the bathroom again. I was like, this is crazy. I used to be, I was in Japan six months ago. Like, what are we doing? You know, but like. Did you have like therapy? Did you have help for that? Or is um, that something you took on your own? It's funny because like I, they really tried to like, to, to give me therapy or to rush me to, to, to walk. And this, I was like, yo, I'm not comfortable doing none of this and I'm going to do it when I want to do it. Mm. And it was like this, I don't know. Like I took a risk on that. And really, it was just, in like, that time. Yeah. Was there ever like, like a f this moment, like, like I can't, like my yeah. life is kind of like, yeah. it's done. Like I, there's no positive trajectory left for me anymore. Yeah. Um, music, I'm kind of good on. It got uh, dark. I have no growth potential anymore. Like this is it. It got dark, um, and I don't talk about it a lot because it is that personal. But it got really dark, not because I had given up on myself, but more of just like, you don't know if you're gonna get back to where you were not on, on a career sense but just from anything like a, yeah you know, just from like just like, being a human being <laughs> yeah like you know and and i was always smart before that like i never did bad things to my body you know i never like drank excessively or did no crazy drugs or ate poorly like i mean you know i didn't eat the best but i did what i could and and that i think ultimately like always built my body up for the long term so even post transplant like it wasn't like a like, I didn't have to drastically change my lifestyle where now I'm not, you know, doing something. No more dollar tacos. No, after definitely <laughs> not that. I had to fortunately hop off those. But uh, but it was hard, man. Like, the recovery was the hardest part because you expect, like, ah, good, I'm, I got my transplant, I'm good. The medications they put you on, just the physical pain, um, and, and just, like, readjusting. Mm. It, was, it was hard. Um, but I made it out, and, and eight months later I was back in New York. Um, wow! Yeah, God you, you said I'm going back there. Now, did you go back to that, that moved into crappy a new floor, Brooklyn in, apartment? In Bushwick. We moved into a new. Still apartment. in Bushwick. Yeah, this one was. But renovated. now Bushwick is starting to pop. Bushwick is different. <laughs> now we move into a renovated apartment in Bushwick. Uh, and, you know, you know, same those, roommate. Uh, same roommates. Yeah, same people I make music with. Yeah, and um, and that was a tough time. And, and I guess like, this is kind of like uh, the foreshadowing. But that was a tough time for me because I was back and I was so ready to go. And I was like, I was like, what, like, what, what are we doing? Because like, I'm, I'm ready. And um, that, that. And it had been paused. It had been paused for quite some paused. time. I put a, I put a mixtape. Like a, we launched a tape the day before I wanted to transplant. Okay. Because I was crazy. Um, but it had been paused for a while. And, um, but when I got back, I was so ready to go. And that energy and that hunger, and that like, obsessive nature. I felt like nobody was trying to match me in my team. And understandably, like, that was, you know, they didn't have that experience. Um, but that started to kind of crack, you know, the, the surface of what we had built. Because I was here like, yo, I just went through this. I have so much that I want to talk about and, and, and get back on and get back to doing what I do. But you can't want it more than other people, right? Like, even if everybody wants to get the Grammy or do whatever, go back on tour, whatever it was, but you can't want it more than the people around you. And you can't bring people to the water if they don't want to drink. Mm. And that's something that I dealt with um, kind of post this. And so Green Street came back. Um, MTV, MTV Desi did a piece on, on, on me and on us. And, Bansali, you know, Akshay? Uh, this was with Shruti. Okay, yeah, I remember. Yeah, peace to her because she was super, super helpful. And um, Vibe did a piece on it, and we we started getting back into it. And um, but they weren't as focused or as willing as you. The yeah, team. yeah, and and that um, 
doing business with your friends is the is the best thing ever, and it's also the worst thing ever. Um, and and that's what I was going through kind of in that era. So as things are picking back up, I'm also realizing like now there's a shift in the energy and kind of like the you know, the, the way we work and, and y'all know about like <clears throat> the industry can also drive you a little bit crazy. Like it could just make you like, you know, you're always like thinking about things you're wired. And, and I definitely like, wasn't always super empathetic toward other people's situations because I was so focused on where we needed to go. Do you have any regrets with that? N- yes and no. I, I don't regret like my focus or my approach. I, mean, I I would have to say, no, I don't regret anything that we did because, um, my my goal was to make sure everybody could come with me and that was that and everybody knew that and and i think people did their best around me but they also just didn't want it as bad and i think the the fear of success is also something that's really real for young people and i didn't have that necessarily but i could see it in the people time stamp me. that erica yeah <laughs> <laughs> the the fear of success is is real and and um as i came back and as i was getting back into you know gear I was meeting. Um, I met Amir Abbasi at this time. Um, you know, speaking of Amir Abbasi, yeah, random shit. Yeah, I don't know if you spoke to him in the last like seventy-two hours. I have not actually. Okay, random. We're gonna go left for a second. <laughs> we meet him through the Anik show we just did, which we talked about earlier. Yep. Um, I'm. I knew Amir for a long time. Knew of him obviously because he, he's pretty legend in his own right. Yeah. Done a lot of shit. And I meet him at the Anique show, and Juicy meets him at the Anique show, and we all like, exchange contacts, and we're cool. I had met him actually at the Apple thing okay. like a few weeks prior. Yeah, yeah. And the chemistry is just like instant. And he was just a cool dude, yeah. like a nice dude. Yeah. And uh, obviously, you know, I, I, I know parts of his history, and I'm like, wow, it's like an honor to meet you. And he's like, nah, y'all, it's an honor to meet y'all. And we're like, all right, cool, let's just have <laughs> some fun then. Yeah. End up doing the show with Anique, have some fun. And uh, we just, you know... We'll hit each other on the gram and whatever and just talk shit. And then me and Juicy were doing this big thing with our company last week for New Balance. And he hits me up and he's like, yo, you're doing the New Balance shit. I see you. I need a pair. I'm like, cool. We got Maryland and D.C. and all these markets. Yep. I had no clue of where he lives. Yep. And he's like, I'm, he's like, no, nah, I'm not there. I'm in like California. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, we got Palo Alto, too. I'm like, you'll be good. Go here and you go meet Juicy and I'll put you on a group text and we'll figure it out. And Amazing. it's crazy how, like, the Amazing. world works. Like, just two weeks ago, we don't know this guy. And He's now. your mentor. Yeah. You're sitting here talking about him. And we just got him a pair of sneakers, like, yeah. three days ago. I just hit him on the gram. I was like, yo, those are hard. He <laughs> posted them. Actually, we did talk in 72 hours. I'm tripping. Yeah. 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 I mean, that was But, like, it was all overdue. facilitated through... Yeah. Actually, through music, yeah. yeah, he was able to get those shoes because of some random shit that happened in the music business. Yeah, it's funny how the stars align, man. It's crazy, man. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Amir's a really good guy, man. He he changed my life for sure. So, so um, just to, to just pausing your thing, do you feel like that mentors are a valuable asset, or I shouldn't say asset, but valuable to keep around you? And it's 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 important to have people in your life that are are true mentors and guides. You have to be ready for it, but absolutely. What do you mean by that? You have to strip your ego and your your um, what you think you know before you can really accept mentorship, and that's been my experience. Um, Amir is definitely a he's a, a tough love type of guy, 
And, okay. you know, coming from, from rap and being, like, a front-facing character and being that person, um, I had to really, like, dial it back and really listen to what he was saying and implement what he was saying before I could always talk about what I thought was right or, or share my opinion on everything. So mentorship is something that I think if you're ready for it and if you're if you're um, if your humility is in the right place to be able to accept it for what mm-hmm. it is because it's not going to be what you think it is. It's not going to be someone coming through and being like, "Yo, I'm gonna put you on <laughs> one, two, three. You know, <laughs> it's never that easy. Go with it. It's no. it's it's never that. And what it is more of is like just how much of a sponge are you willing to be? And I think that's that was something that I was always comfortable with is like. Look, I don't need to be the center of attention. I don't need to be anything. I just need to be on the wall so I can learn. And that's how Amir and I really... So how does... Like, what do you just walk... Like, did you just message him one day and said, Hey, I want you to be my mentor? Like, nah, is that how it works? The Amir story is a little bit crazy. I had... um, I had, We had a mutual friend. And, and this guy was like, You want to meet Amir? And I was like, What you mean? Like, yeah, obviously. Because <laughs> I mean, I've been following the like, guy. I know Amir. He's like, Nah, I could get him right now. I was like... I was like, don't hurt yourself, man. Like, it's cool. Whatever. Like, you know, let me know. It's like, yo, my, my, my boy and this, man, Samir Nassim, like, I have to shout out Samir. If you listen in, if you're not listening, I'm going to send it to you so you hear this. Um, I love you for that, man. You changed my life, too. But he literally called up Amir and was like, yo, you have to meet this guy. I really think he could be next. He's doing some things. Please. Musically, you meet yeah, him. You meet yeah. him on a musical yeah, level. Me, me is this after him. your kidney incident? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is in the last. Seven or eight years. This is in the last four years, yeah. Oh, so recent, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and 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 I'm. I think Samir was like in the room next to me. Samir's a hilarious guy, like one of the funniest people I know. He's a comedian, damn near. But um, he is actually a for real comedian. My bad. I didn't want to diss that. But he's he's talking to Amir. I'm like, oh man, like Amir don't even want to f with me. Like, what's going on? He hangs up. Five minutes later, my phone rings. Random number. I pick up. It's Amir. Uh, we I remember the first time we were talk we talked for two hours on some on some Rockefeller like dissecting thing. Wow. We just dissecting all this rock classic rock stuff. And I think it must have been like some things that I said and just like kinda where I was coming from 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 my perspective and things. He was like, Yo, I'm gonna be there in a week. Just like In New York. Yeah, I'm gonna come and visit you in a week. And I was like, All right. And and for anyone that knows what who Amir is and what he does, like I say this like Yo, he came and slept on my floor for a week and just, like, boot camped with me. And uh, we joked because he came in the summer, I think, and I was too broke to turn the AC on. <laughs> he was like, yo, you trying to kill me? And I was like, nah, man, just, just turn it off, you know, every hour or whatever. <laughs> but um, that man slept on my floor, man. He just really, like, really just gave me a foundation and gave me game. And, and you know, now we pitch business together. It's a whole different situation, but... Um, I owe a lot to him, you know, it just, just to take that time with me. Um, and I put work in, like, I don't want it to, you know, like the thing about mentorship too, is like, you have to really put work in. Um, and, and I put work in with no expectation. Like I just put work in because I wanted to honor him literally. Um, but, but yeah, so we build a relationship and that's kind of, I want to, I want to wrap back to the main point so we can wrap yes. this era up. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, Amir's opening doors for us and things are happening. And I could just tell that the rest of my group, the rest of the people I was working with, they just weren't ready. Like, they were intimidated. They weren't necessarily in the right uh, mental space mm-hmm. to accept, you know, what was coming. And it was really tough. And, and uh, so we went back on the road um, and we had this, like, I think it was like a 10, 12-city tour up and down the East Coast. And uh, last night is in Newark, New Jersey. And uh, 
the promoter is trying to stiff me for $40. He's just like, you know, whatever it is. And I didn't need the $40, but I needed to pay gas for the rest of the people. So it's like really late in Newark, New Jersey. And I have this moment where I'm like, yo, I'm fighting for $40. Like, what am I doing? I'm like 26 years old. Like, I, I went to school. Like, I feel like I'm fairly talented. But this is not the move. Like, this is, you know, and, and it's just like it was like that realization, whatever. And Another epiphany. Yeah, and, and I kind of took like a week, you know, off from like the music. Just like, just took a week to really think. And, and um, I happened to be going to India the next week. And India is kind of like the trip that I make once a year just to do like a two, three week, like, I don't say sabbatical, but it's just like a cleanse for me, you know, just to get Spiritual. back, yeah, get yeah. back to my roots and get away from from business and you know the BS that we deal with sometimes in New York. But anyway, I had to basically think about like what I was gonna do moving forward because I'm, you know, I'm getting a little bit older. And remember, like my dad just gave me his kidney. Like I have a different responsibility <laughs> now. Like I can't, you know, I just felt like by rapping and trying to like, I felt like I was hitting my head against the wall repeatedly. And and, and I think I had. Um, the humility not to gas myself but i think i had the humility to understand that um that it was okay to try something new and that might not have that might not be what i thought it was like you know like i might have to wrap that up pivot and kind of figure out what's next for me um and that was a really tough decision man what about uh like your mentors and people who were supporting you throughout with yeah. your whole music career and even stayed with you towards the end yeah like what did they give you some sort of like no nah, man you can't do this like how was that a conversation that's a great question they did and they didn't i think they um i think the people that i've always kind of looked up to and, and and they've always known how to guide me or give me certain things to bounce off of without telling me exactly what to do um, and, and I have another kind of really instrumental person in my life. And he was very much like, yo, he told me, or he said, you need to run an agency. And I was like, I don't even know what that means. Mm. Like, I'm trying to drop this album. Um, and, and, but like other people were more like, think about it. Like, what do you really love? Do you love the music? Do you love the business? Like, what is it? Um, and I just spent that time with myself in India and kind of figuring out like what that was. Um, and I think I came to the realization that as much as I love the creative and love to be that person, I really enjoyed, like, rollouts. Like, I really enjoyed, like, the strategy. Like, I really enjoyed, like, the moment where you get to put it all out. Um, and I had to, like, swallow my pride and, like, really, really be okay with the fact that I was going to take some time. At that time, I was like, I'm going to step away from this. I didn't even say I'm going to take some time away. I was like, I think I'm going to step away from music. Um, wow. Yeah, and I sat my, you know, sat my partners down, and we had this conversation. And, and yeah, it was... And I think that comes from, like, kind of what I have been through. Like, when I make a decision, I'm going to do something or whatever. Like, it's very it's very cut and dry for me, um, which is a good and a bad thing. But, um, but yeah, I decided to step away, man. And uh, What year was that exactly? This is 2013. And you tell everyone this is it. I'm going in a different direction. I don't tell everyone. I tell the people close to me. Right, um, meaning the team. Yeah, the team. Uh, and then externally, people are just like, yo, when's the next album coming out? You know, bro. I was like, mm, never 31st. But internally, <laughs> I'm like, I got to now figure out what I'm doing. You know, And I had been doing like some consultation for other artists and brands like on the side while I was making music and everything. Um, but, but yeah, that was a, a very difficult decision for me to make because I really, really loved hip-hop. And I thought that, and I love music and I love culture and I thought that if I stopped rapping that I would have no access to it. Right. Thank right. God that's not true. That's completely not true. But that's how I saw it. Right. Yeah. That's crazy too. And I, I want to just acknowledge something that he said as well is that he was more uh, like motivated by the process 
than the the end result, right? Did I understand that correctly? Yeah. yeah. And and I think that a lot a lot of people um, lose focus of that, and they're so hyper focused on what's like. All right, cool. We got to get to the deadline. We got to mm-hmm. get to this end goal, and um, just kind of sitting back and enjoying that yeah. process is something that's so valuable that it's overlooked sometimes and undermined. So yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, I'm definitely deadline oriented too. <laughs> no, for sure. But I for think, sure. like you say, you have embrace to- it while it's happening Absolutely. versus just kind of. Having tunnel vision. Absolutely. You said yeah. you're deadline oriented. Yeah. I feel like uh, on Instagram, maybe on your story or somewhere, I've seen you post like you actually post your whole schedule of a day sometimes. Yeah. Where you'll be like <laughs> 8 a.m. here, 8:17 here, it's down to the minute, 9:25 it's here. It's legit. 11 a.m. here. Like I've seen you post that in your story it's and not stuff. Fun. Like you know what it is is people. I think. Uh, this is a little bit tangent, but the last thing I ever want to be is like an Instagram entrepreneur or one of those characters. Like. I really run a business and that's not to gas myself. Like I run a business and I want to like illustrate and illuminate that point and, and encourage people to try that for themselves. And I'm not an entrepreneur because it's cute and it's, it's the, the, the cool thing to do now. I'm an entrepreneur because that's all I've known mm-hmm. since I was young. But you know, like I really do stuff. I don't just, I'm not trying to motivate people. I'm not trying to be a motivational speaker or none of that. I'm really just trying to run a business and show y'all that it's possible to own your time to own your future, to create equity for yourself, for your family, for the people around you and the things that you do. Um, but yeah. So is that is that what Green Room does for you? Is that what your real estate ventures do for you? Let's let's talk about Green yeah. Room for a little bit. And, Absolutely. And that side of things, because now you're not in the music making game, but right. you're in the game, period. So. Right. Yeah, Green Room starts as an agency. Um, what year does it start? 2013. Okay. Yeah. Starts as an agency designed to help artists figure out how to position and, and scale themselves on digital. Um, artists meaning music artists or artists me- in general? Meaning musicians because that's what I knew. Okay. And very quickly after that, I, I realized that artists did not have the budget nor the, um, the, the, the patience to do that. So that was a quick pivot. Um, we pivoted to working with local businesses to see if we could scale restaurants, you know, uh, local business. Mm-hmm. That was a quick pivot when we understood that that had no chance. And so, like, mm-hmm. when we talk about green room now, it's, like, it's interesting because I have a staff and we have offices or whatever. But, like, the first 12 to 18 months of green room with GRC was a mess. And we were pivoting constantly trying to figure out what was happening. Are um, you still – do you still pivot today? A lot less. Um, okay. We still do as a company. Yeah, a lot less. So the eventual pivot that we just that we kind of ended up on was working with early and mid stage companies on growth and scale, and okay. and leveraging digital and leveraging culture to be able to to be able to crack that code, and that took multiple iterations to get to that point. Um, but but yeah, so so that's, GRC that's hard to sell to people as well too, right? To yeah. certain people, like no one wakes up and says we want this right away. Right, but they do understand when something's not working. Right, right. they just don't want to admit it. And so when you, you, I literally had this meeting last week where I was like, are you guys proud of the work that you guys have been doing recently from a creative standpoint? Like, is it exciting to you? And you then, say this to a to potential a client, client. To a client. And then so to, disrespectful. <laughs> well, I was being honest. I wanted work? to be honest because I was like, you guys are complaining about the, the needles not moving. I was like, are you guys excited by the stuff you so guys have been tell, tell me about who, like, who are some of your clients? Like, So, um, yeah, so the first year of GRC is a mess. Like we're just trying to pivot and figure things out. Okay. Um, the, the second sounds year, familiar. Yeah, the okay. second year kind of it kind of coalesces, um, and I write this article uh, on Medium, and it was titled uh, "I Built a Six Figure Business in One Year." Here are my takeaways, and it was just like meant to kind of like 
take everything that I had been through in this last 18 months of post Green Street and into this new That world. was a recent article, right? It was like two, three years ago. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I put that into this piece, and that thing somehow went viral. Like, I don't know how it happened, but it just started really, like, people were texting me, like, yo, bro. I was like, okay. Uh this this is like again this is on like my Wiz Khalifa show part two like okay something really is is working and now I have the confidence to to take it to the next level bring that to answer your question kind of after that we somehow get in touch with a political super PAC that is working with Hillary Clinton for the 2016 campaign um, and no idea about what political messaging and what that looks like no idea about you know kind of like the do's and don'ts but every idea of how to s- to, to create an audience, how to develop a message, and how to build, you know, creative content around it. And so that was kind of like one of our bigger clients from the jump, um, from the beginning, was working with, with that scene. Um, we worked with uh, the Daily Beast, which is a pretty big, like, media platform. Uh, Juice Press, which is a... Yeah, I saw the Juice Press on yeah, the Green Room website. What Ju- did you I have do a crazy Juice Press story. I don't know if I have time to tell it, but... We do. We got time. We'll make the time. I have a funny story. <laughs> Hurry up slowly, though. All right, cool. So <laughs> Juice Press, um, I have a friend who now is the CTO there, but back then he was he was just working there. And um, he was like, look, we need help with certain things on digital. Do you mind coming in and pitching? And I was like, sure. And this is like... So you have to create a pitch deck. Oh, my goodness. Like, the first pitch deck we really did was Juice Press, go figure. Okay. And like, my brother and I were big. sweating, like, yeah, yeah, Google yeah. Slides, and yeah, PowerPoint. Yeah. Like, what's, what's Terrible really, what's stats. What's cracking? Analytics. Horrible, flow man. Like, this, from a design standpoint, this thing looks like a mess. Put a put a uh, decent deck together, and it's pitch time. I go in there. I'm pitching alone, and I'm pitching to their internal team. No founders, CEOs, whatever. And they have more like stylistic questions, like how big is your team? You know, what's because they want to know where they, who they're spending yeah, on. And who, where's your office? And I'm man, sweating. I'm, yeah, well, I'm making things up at this point, <laughs> but, but you know, I'm covering the bases. And more importantly, I know the material. But okay. you know, anyway. So the pitch is going well. About halfway through the door, slams open. The founder walks in. This dude is an MMA kickboxer. Oh, man. Entire neck is tatted. Okay. He will kick my chest in and make my shoulders <laughs> clap if I say something wrong. Okay. And he, he walks in. He's like, what is this? And everyone's like, oh, this is the you know, pitch for the digital date that you wanted. Now, you're brown, so you have a kind of an advantage, right, when talking about digital there. Like, you're in a space where... They look at you like you got to be pretty yeah. smart off the bat. A little bit. I think it goes back to the high school thing where, like, I'm not, I'm not cool, but I know kind of what things are happening before they're going to happen and knowing okay. how to communicate it. Yeah. Um, so the founder comes in, and he's like, oh, this is what's happening? Let's go. And he just starts drilling me. 30 minutes of just questions back and forth. On and some, going, like, let me try to poke holes at your... A little bit, yeah. He was also, you know, explain it to me, but also, like, what happens if this happens? What happens if that happens? And I'm like, man, it's time to go. And this is, like, really one of our first bigger clients. And so I go back and forth with him for a while. He's like, at the end, he's like, all right, cool. And he just walks out. And I was like, oh, man. Bet. He calls me at midnight the same night. And he was like, yo, what, how much are you going to charge? And I was like, this. He was like, send me an invoice and a contract in the morning. I want to pause on that for a second because yeah. there's a lot of people that listen to us and people that we're in the game with and we also own our own agency. Yeah. How do you, and I'm talking you specifically, Green Room, yourself, how do you calculate your value in terms of do you charge per project? Do you create a billable hours rate? Do you say we're going to do this and this is what I think it should cost. And like, yeah, like, cause in this space that we're all in, 
you could charge a dollar for something mm. and you could charge ten dollars for something. The same thing. The same exact thing. It's very confusing. Yeah. And how does it work for you? So how this guy tells you what's your price. Now you're you're obviously gonna rattle something off and you want the gig badly, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah. That's a great question. I I think people I answer this question a lot, not because it's right or wrong, but I just have I guess found an answer for this. As you know, you have to have an answer that comes to you quickly. Very tough for um, me. I'm still trying to figure really it out all the time. Every client's different. Yeah, that's a fact. So I think it's a combination of things. The first thing that we do is we, we look at how many hours that we expect this project to take, mm-hmm. whether it's on a month level, whether it's week to week, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we assign a billable rate to that. Um, based the hours, on, billable hours. Yeah, billable hours. Prior, guaranteed. Yeah, based on the complexity of the project and, okay. and how many uh, how many people from our staff it'll take to basically bring on. And then that gives us like a, a very rough ballpark, and then we add about 15 20%. On top of that, to deal with client communications, emails, all the time that gets sucked up with you know the back and forth. Um, and then we look at that project price, and then we look at kind of where the client is at Maybe you know how much they've raised recently or kind of where they're at or what their monthly marketing budget is. Some kind of reference point. Um, and then we present a, a scope and a plan based on that. Um, one of the most helpful now, how did things, you learn that? Because school didn't definitely not teach you that. Trial and error, man. Mm. Trial and error. You know, I once pitched some some amount and the person was like, ha, 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 I'll give you this. And it was like a fourth of the amount that I pitched. And I was like, okay, all right. That's a decision you got to make. You're going to take it or not. Right. Um, and I, and how, how, do you, how crazy do you look when you pitch, yo, it's $100. They say we're going to give you 25 And you're like, okay, cool. Right. Sign here. How does that make yeah. you look? Well, I don't. So I don't like to give an answer in the room in those situations. If it's going to make me look like a clown, <laughs> you know, it's something that I'll, I'll be like, "Look, let me take this back to the team." Yeah, that's definitely you are the team. Yeah, well, <laughs> at that time I definitely was. Um, but it's something that you could go and at least think about and figure out. Like, look, we need to trim the scope, but we can maybe get it closer okay. to where they're at. I feel you on that. But you can't deliver full value for half. I mean, like for a quarter of the price, you, absolutely you can't survive. Um, do you so ever yeah. say I got to take it back to my partner? I do rarely. I, okay. I like to give I like to give numbers when people ask for them though. That's big for me. Okay. Um, one thing I have learned that's really helpful is to get them to clarify certain things on the front end, meaning how much are you guys spending per month now. What was the last time you guys did an activation like this? What What was? Give me a range, and and if they give you any kind of starting point, mm-hmm. you can immediately decide kind of where you want to take it. I love that, man. So, what are a green rooms? Some of green rooms core values. Like, do you guys ever say no to any particular clients because you guys have these values? Or yeah, that's that's an interesting question. Um, so, from a value standpoint, something that we do is we this is kind of indirect, but we we donate two percent of all of our profits to um, to international nonprofits or people basically doing good, and that's just something that we believe in and. Um, from a philanthropic side, like I used to believe in getting on and then giving back. And mm-hmm. then I realized like, there's no point in that when you can do it as you go. So that's something that we're really big on and kind of building up these communities that we've traveled to and lived in and seen. Um, and then on the, on the front end, like I think from, from who we are, we believe in just leaving the world a better place than you found it. And so certain things we won't do, like I won't do cigarettes or tobacco. Um, we won't do alcohol for the most part. Um, and I know it's tough because alcohol companies have the biggest budgets mm. and every time it's, it's, a, it's a, a challenge. But, yeah, there's certain things that we, that we don't want to do because I don't want our, our name to be associated with something just for the check again. Um, but I'm not, a, I'm not like a saint. Like I'm about like to talk about the young you – know, I'm about the bag. Like I'm about <laughs> that bag. Like, let's keep it real. Like we all have to survive and, of course. and take care of, of, of our situations. And so I'm, I'm profit-oriented. 
but I don't believe in um, in compromising everything just to just to you know that's, secure. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Have you ever fired a client? Um, yes, we've also been fired. Mm. So been on been on both sides of that. Um, sometimes been fired, like yeah, we've like, lost clients. Like they just like you're not you're not for us or. Um, a lot of times, clients don't have the patience to actually see through a six to a three to six month campaign. Mm. And if you start pressing me from week two or week three, like what's going on, and we're in a testing phase and trying to gather data to be able to deliver these results over a three month course, then I can tell that you are not the type of partner that we need to be aligned with. And and if it really starts to get to the point, then you know, we have a clause and we can both back out, you know, accordingly. Um, that doesn't happen a lot, right? Um, you know, it, but it does happen, and there's there's something to be said about like the churn of an agency. Like you just pick up and lose clients in a natural flow. And that's one one of the toughest things that my, my partner and I have to deal with is like as we hire new people and as we scale up and uh, do certain things, your marquee client or whoever they just might be thinking differently the entire time, yeah. you know. And it's it's uh, it's just like the 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 evils, so to speak, of the of the agency world. Yeah, we're still we're still working on how to build like a churn rate into the yearly revenue, and so you know, like based on what we've seen in the last three years, that you're gonna lose a certain percent of clients, and you're gonna pick up X amount of clients, yeah. and then where does that put you? Yeah, we we do a lot of that analytical stuff as yeah, well, and I we need to learn from y'all, like real. Thing. I mean, we learn from each other, and I think that's that's really uh, Ani why we invited you here. It's um, you know to one learn your story, uh, learn what you do. Uh, sort of get a greater knowledge of that, but also to inspire people that listen to us, to inspire the youth. You know, we've all made our own lanes. We've created our own lanes. We've done so much. Your story is nothing short of inspirational. And um, I believe as a guy under 30 years old, you haven't even reached where you're going. I see that. And I also, like you, I believe that I see what's going to be cool and what's going to be really dope mm. way before it really hits. And uh, when I when I told Juicy that you were coming on, I, I told him that let's keep watching Ani Hustles. Let's mm. keep watching what he does. Let's embrace Ani. Uh, let's that. give him our platform and ensure that we continue to, to, to stay close and, and keep pushing each other forward. I think that's what it's all about. Uh, and that goes beyond um, just being brown. Yeah. That, that, that's, we're past that at this point, right? Like, Absolutely. It's cool. And and we know we're of the same cultural background, but ultimately, you know, the world is a great place. Uh, there's people from all backgrounds and all races, cultures that are doing dope stuff, and we're going to keep doing it together. And, yeah. and I think that we'll actually end up doing something at some point. I believe it. I believe it, too. I believe it. Um, with that, Ani, we want to say thank you for coming through, man. Thank you, man. Thank you, guys. Um, Appreciate you. I think we, we might have to get you in for a part, too. Yeah. I think so. Um, just to like really dive more into green room and yeah. and some of the other projects that you're doing, yeah. maybe some more music talk. Um, before we go, yeah, can you give us some words of inspiration to the youth, to the to the cats that are younger? Because uh, I've seen you speak a lot to youth. I know you do a monthly thing on Wednesdays. Is that correct? Uh, I do. A, uh, yeah, I do an entrepreneurs workshop every month. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that because I don't know if Juicy knows about that. No. I've never been, but I want to come. For sure. Tell us um, about that and then some inspiring words for the youth for uh, sure. before you 
get not get on out of here. Yeah, I mean, before anything, I just want to say how grateful I am for you guys for having me. So sweet. Um, cause, cause so nice. <laughs> you guys have been through the fire, man. And for you to to see anything in me, it means a lot. Like I understand the people that paved, you know, the way for people like me, and and that's y'all. And and I'm never. Um, I'm never at the point where I think like I did it myself or we did this alone. Like this happened because of, of, of your, you know, your work that you put in. So I'm, I'm super appreciative. And I mean that, um, the the monthly workshop is something that, uh, that we created because we, we wanted to find this thing and it didn't exist. Um, what it is, is it's a way for creative people to come together, um, to, to workshop, to collaborate, to problem solve in a uh, in a quote-unquote networking sense without all the bs that's associated with it so you go to a networking event it's loud music it's alcohol you can barely hear what the person next to you is saying and you get no value and you go home um what we do is we bring together a bunch of creative people we put a common problem out to them that we're trying to solve together um we have breakout groups we have all these like different mind mapping and and mind hacking workshops kind of within that and then we come up with some real geeked out shit yeah it's it's nerdy it's like dope. you gotta come and work and <laughs> yeah, but, yeah know, that sounds dope yeah but you also I'll meet go. a bunch of cool people like, yeah you know, people come and find their their technical founders or whoever they've been you know the content person so it's called idea exchange um and and the uh, instagram handles idea.exchange you can get all the information there and when you say we that's a sort of a sub of green room that's a team yeah so that's a sub of, of green room creative it's it's uh i mean green room has like equity in that company but it's also i've opened that up and brought in people that that i've worked with for a while and given them a piece of that because i think that's really important um and, and so that's that's something that we've been building for about 18 months now and uh we're looking to do some global like international events this year so we're excited Sick. about that and uh yeah if you follow me you'll see it on my on my feeds or whatever i'm, I'm big on that because i think it's it's reached a point now where everyone's like, this is incredible. Like, this is the only event like this. And I'm like, all right, cool. So do you have to pay to come? It's is free. it free? No, it's free. There's is free there a limited this. number of people? Uh, we do cap it at a certain amount, but it's mm-hmm. like it's, you know, it's first come, first serve on the RSVP. So we haven't we haven't got too much into that. I want it to be as inclusive as possible. A mm-hmm. lot of times tech and marketing and all of that becomes very exclusive. And uh, I, I, I just, the feeling of looking, of being on the outside looking in just sucks. Is it on Wednesdays? It's on Wednesdays, yeah. It's once what, a month. What time month. is it on a Wednesday? The third Wednesday of the month from 6 to 9. Damn, bro. We can never, ever, 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 ever go. <laughs> we might have to have one here. To figure it out. <laughs> Think about it. That's exact. Why did you copy us with the time and stuff, man? <laughs> now I know. I'll switch my stuff around. Say no more. The movie, we pivoted again. Um, one day, we're going to have to feel like we're going to have to take off of this. Yeah. And then go there. It's the third Wednesday of the month. So let, let's just make it. How about this? Because like we're, we're in this space with Ani now. Yeah. Every third Wednesday of the month, we actually don't record. Now, nah, listen, listen. And then we put on our gram that that's we're going much. to his thing. Nah, I, I, Idea I, just, I love it. Let's do this. We're having a conference. We're having an all-day conference in June, which is not on a Wednesday. What day is it's it? It's on, on a Thursday. What's the date? The 8th, I believe. First week in June. Okay. Um, we're having a couple of panelists. We're bringing this this event that we do. The eighth is a Friday. All right, it's the seventh. <laughs> See how I know that? Because you, you packed up. I know <laughs> and your schedule. I cal is looking tight. Um, but yeah, so we having a we having a uh, conference all day thing, and it's going to be DJs and music, and and as well as panel discussions. And you know, it's a tech. Is there conference. a DJ budget? Let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come and DJ that if you if you have room let's, for word. Let's talk about we'll it. We'll be there. Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, it's like a tech conference the way we want it to be like done. a vibe, like yeah, a vibe. That's dope. Yeah, See that? Not? That's dope. Yeah, and we could talk about that. But yeah, I guess I know y'all y'all been in here for a long time. I want to give my little piece of advice, and I could I could boogie. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing that I've learned along this entire journey is 
not to take advice from people who aren't qualified to give it um, and, and not taking advice from people who operate from a place of fear. I think that's the natural tendency for a lot of human beings. And when we ask someone for advice or we, we you know, bounce an idea off each other, a lot of times they uh, respond from a place of insecurity about how they feel about that idea, not necessarily how viable they think it is for you or for for the world. So, you know, I never asked anybody if I, they thought I should rap because everybody's answer I already knew was going to be the same. Hmm. Um, I never asked anybody if I should not work a day job and build a business because I know everybody would operate from a place of fear. Um, and and so that's not to say you don't have mentors around you and you don't stay grounded and, and, and put in the work, but don't... Uh, don't overinflate people's opinions because a lot of times they're just operating from a place of fear. You are definitely a Jay Z disciple. Gems, gems. That's gems. bars, bars, that's and bars, bars, gems. All the above, man. <laughs> Cut it out, man. Cut it out. Thank no, you that's, guys. That's again. some great information, man. Thanks. Bro. Yo, what about that freestyle though? Uh, part two. <laughs> part two. Oh, okay. Oh, this guy. Part bro. two. I uh, know. I kept y'all over time. <laughs> We're cool. Man. We're It'll cool. We started late. We good. Look, cool, if we man. do a part two, I'll definitely. No, we'll do first. a part two. We'll bring a. We'll bring a little. Beat machine, and we'll, we'll get it in. That for the, I don't know about, but <laughs> we'll make it happen. I'll be ready. All right, bro. Good talking to you, man. We'll, we'll see you soon, bro. Bless. Thank you. All guys. right. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Butter Chicken Podcast with DJ Sherrod and DJ Juicy. Please make sure to check us out on all podcasting platforms and follow us on Instagram at the Butter Chicken Podcast. Is it the Butter Chicken Podcast? It's the Butter Chicken Podcast. It's the Butter Chicken Podcast on the gram? Yes, the Butter Chicken Podcast. T-H-E, Butter Chicken Podcast on the gram. <laughs> then they can go there <laughs> yeah. and find everywhere else we're at. Yes, absolutely. That's so fucking That's That's the main hub. That's dope, man. Love, man. Thank you, Ani. Appreciate you, brother. Thank love you. is love. Thank you.